0: Hi, everybody. Just a quick announcement before we get started today. If you're a Canadian financial advisor or planner who's fed up with their technology platform or just looking to make improvements in their tech platform, I got the event for you. One of my associations, the Financial Planning Association of Canada, is sponsoring the very first Canadian Advisor Tech Expo. It is a three-day event where you'll be able to see and hear from various vendors and various verticals as to what they have to offer people in this space. So if you're interested in checking it out, please visit the website at www.advisortechexpo.ca. And now on to today's show. Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today I show you a Brandon Chapman, founder of Advisor Flow. Advisor Flow is a tool that helps advisors learn more about their clients and onboard them and acquire vital information in order to basically service them faster and better. And with that, here's my interview with Brandon.
1: Brandon, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Jason. Always appreciate your episodes and it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be participating today. Well, uh, we ha- I had a
0: last minute cancellation and you were gracious enough to make yourself available. So I sincerely appreciate it. So Brandon Chapman of Advisor Flow, tell us about AdvisorFlow.
1: Thanks, Jason. AdvisorFlow, uh, we incorporated last year. It was a project that only I was working on three years ago because I was so frustrated with using PDF and Word documents to gather facts about my clients and my own practice. And then during the pandemic, it appeared every other advisor realized that pen and paper was inefficient. I am
0: going to say, if they still think it's sufficient, you can point them my my way for a conversation. So, uh, okay, so fair enough. So you're digitizing advisor onboarding, which is a subject near and dear to my heart, because quite honestly, (laughs) PDFs. you know, I don't know. God, that was a solution for 2001. All right. So do you already give me the genesis of this? So give me your background and uh, tell me about the pain you were feeling before you decided to do something about it.
1: Yeah, I've got a bit of a tech background. So um, I I studied business and entrepreneurship and technology in my undergrad in Vancouver, BC. And uh, I wasn't planning to be a financial advisor, but I knew I wanted to build a business. just turned out that uh, the financial advisory business was one that allowed people that didn't have a bank of mom and dad to build businesses. So I was able to build my financial advisory business servicing uh, professionals and tech business owners in Vancouver. And many of them complained about my onboarding process, and so it only made sense that I tried to solve that with some of my friends in the software industry.
0: So, uh, unlike most technology, most advisors don't know how to use any form of technology, and that's not a slam; it's just a reality, as I'm sure you know. You basically had that experience and knew you can solve the problem. Great. So, tell me about how you went about getting started. So, you basically you talked to a bunch of guys to get started, but what was the kind of initial vertical or initial kind of piece of information you were going after? Because, Frank, when we talk about financial advice and and the amount of information we need. That can be incredibly extensive. Everything from banking information to wills, powers of attorney, statements, expenditure data. like My list is not short. I make no apologies for it because, frankly, I want to understand my client, but you can't boil the ocean. So where did
1: you start? Yeah, so the the paper chase is the toughest part of the financial advisory planning process. And so if you can make that process seamless, it's going to encourage the odds that a prospect becomes a client. So for me, I really wanted to digitize my initial questionnaire. So that was the first step. So that those first set of questions that I want every prospect that I engage with to answer before I engage with them. And so by me being able to digitize that introductory survey, that really helps allow me to filter through people who weren't interested in working with me. Versus those that were keen and ready to go. So that was the first the first iteration, and that was what we digitized first. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, if you really want to
0: see who's ready to work with you, put an obstacle in front of them. Too much. Of, a lot of times the business is designed around removing frictions for clients to work with us easier, but that also makes them that also means non-committal people get involved, right? And whether that be charging upfront for planning, or whether that be giving them a lengthy list and saying I'll work with you once you get me this information. Oh man, like creating that obstacle. Like if if they if they're gonna basically take the time to fill out a lengthy questionnaire and do all the work you need to onboard them, then they're clearly committed as opposed to someone who's just kicking tires and has no interest. And that's going to save, I mean, I'm, getting, I'm guessing that just adopting that philosophy has saved you all kinds of time and following, time and following up with people who weren't really interested in the first place, but just said they were.
1: For sure. Yeah. Like we uh, During the pandemic, I grew my financial advisory business 30% while we also grew advisor flow by much more than that from a user base and a paid user base. And I think the big reason for that was because I had good process embedded in my practice. And mm-hmm. That's why I think advisory firms and advisors need to think very deeply about what their process is and which parts the process they can digitize to make it more seamless for the client, for them as the advisor. And then of course, the advisory firm as a whole, if they've got other uh, chosen technologies already in the stack.
0: So, okay. Starting from zero. Because there's a lot to go after. So you went after just the standard. Here's my fill, fill these, t- these fields, right? I need this information, but you've already started working. In, and for the record, let me go back a step. You're still very new. Like, when did you launch this exactly again?
1: Uh, it was a, it was a beta back three years ago. And then we incorporated uh, summer 2020.
0: Yeah. So again, you're a little over a year old, which you know in human years means you're babbling and maybe saying your first words. But in in tech speak, it means you're in market and you're finding product market fit, which is great. But in particular, so you've already started looking at integrations. What have you done to date?
1: Yeah. So our first integration, once we had baseline questions lined up that we had commitment from many advisors that this set of questions was what they wanted. Our next piece was let's build integration into the platform. And so, Flinks, who's out of Montreal, they were our first integration partner. We were the first uh, wealth tech platform to build an operational aggregation function for advisors. And really, the idea is was we wanted to give advisors the ability to have a Mint-like experience with the advisor embedded, because Mint did a great job of providing aggregation for consumers. But then, what's next? Are they selling you a credit card or a mortgage? There's no human interaction. I think that's a big problem. A lot of consumer has is that they don't embed a quality independent advisor.
0: But there's two sides of this. First off, the mint story. I mean, Intuit bought that thing and let it die in the vine. Like, you know, talk about being so far ahead of your time and and almost becoming like the Kleenex version or the name, (laughs) name brand of data aggregation. Like they were first, they were there, and they're still, their market share is still enormous. Yet meanwhile, like, what ads for conversion to credit cards, or and you know ads for you know into to use your tax program as tax software? Man, like talk about a wasted opportunity there, and how that could have been used to empower advisors. But and I'm going to ask for your second statement about the lack of the human independent advisor on the side of that. But let's just let's just be frank. I talked to a lot of people in technology, especially those who've never been in the business who basically want to of servicing clients, especially those when they're in the valley. It's a different story altogether. And their entire opinion is, why would anyone use a human? Like, this is the end conclusion. We're just never going to use humans for anything, right? And meanwhile, humans are proving that's not the case, right? Like, robo-advisors have not taken every dollar from, from advisors. So you're kind of looking, for lack of a better term, you're, you're more of a believer in the bionic advisor, <laughs> half human,
1: half machine. Totally. I think humans are fantastic at asking good questions, at building authentic relationships, keeping people accountable to their goals. If a robot's emailing you to do something, it's very easy to ignore it. But if it's a human that you know is going to call you next or see you at the dinner party, there's a much higher chance you're going to do that thing. And I think that we saw a lot of the venture capital dollars flow into wealth, simpler, well simple equivalents back in 2017, 2018. Many of those early investors are now putting their money into wealth tech and advisor facing tech because it's clear that people with money want a human that they like and trust.
0: Yeah, not only that, I mean, the other piece of it is a simple fact that there's a certain type of human being who's okay with turning over their entire lives to a machine. Not a lot of us are fully comfortable with the autopilot setting on, on a Tesla just yet, and it's going to take a while before we get there. But you know, I do, while I do believe in driverless cars, driverless financial planning is one I'm not fully willing to to believe in just yet. Especially as our industry evolves and focuses more on, you know, kind of coaching and the stuff that really kind of gets them across the finish line. All right. So that's what you've done to date. You're still very young. Let's talk about ambition. Where do you see this going? Like what what is kind of the grand plan that you can share with us without giving away the farm?
1: I'm a big believer in collaboration and I'm not a believer in disruption when it comes to this industry. I actually think that technology that integrates existing incumbents that have good relationships and have provided good value to advisors, to clients, and to the overall community, that those folks should be integrated into any tech solution. And so that's what we've really been focused on is how do we build solid relationships with those who already have good relationships with advisors and clients? And how do we integrate our technology into systems that they actually like on a go forward basis? So we're going to continue to build integrations into systems that, have that same belief in that open architecture and that inherent support for the advisor and client experience. I find that some firms in Canada are making decisions to be more of a closed environment. And I do feel that's going to be a pain point for them if they wish to retain Independent advisors on a go-forward basis.
0: Are we talking technology firms or distribution?
1: Distribution.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like there is such a culture change that needs to happen in that regard, right? Like how much of the financial industry has been around relying on frictions as a means of keeping people in place, right? Like I had this debate on Twitter the other day. I made a, one of my. Never ending comments about the Canadian banking oligopoly. What a pain in the butt it is. It was a Tuesday. What can I say? And then basically, it was a question about why do people feel the need to be loyal to their bank? I, it's a concept I cannot wrap my head around. And you know, someone said, well, it's not just loyalty, it's the fact that it's such a pain in the butt to move. Why would I move?" And it's like, that's what they want. <laughs> that's that's you know, you just reinforce the fact that they want things to be difficult and they make things difficult and they try to make it hard. And it's such a different mindset from the Silicon Valley approach of just, hey, let's make every experience positive for someone even when they leave. I mean, look how easy it is to cancel your Netflix subscription. Why? Because no one ever wants to, they don't ever want to hear, someone say, I don't want to sign up for Netflix because, oh my God, if I ever decide to cancel, it's going to be such a pain in the butt. But how many telecom companies do you say that about? I'm not right. going to bother switching because it's going to be such a pain to leave. And then it'll be a pain to leave that one if I ever want to leave. That is, as I keep saying on this podcast, you know, friction is not a way to win business. It's a way to piss off your client base.
1: And everyone, everyone talks and information is so accessible. Like if, if a company does something shitty, it's going to be on Reddit and someone's going to Google it and figure that out and they won't do business with you because of that article. So you're, you're so right. When there was no information online, companies could get away with this. But the fact of the matter is, is the, the world has shifted and the most profitable businesses are the ones that recognize when you put the customer first, you actually end up doing better.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's because no one wants to be in a relationship where they know they're going to be disrespected on the way out. Right? Like that's that's the reality of it. And you know, it may not be Reddit. Sometimes it's the Globe and Mail. Right? Like sometimes <laughs> it's major national newspapers about decisions to go to proprietary funds because of BS or BS excuses. So it's there's you know it's they're big. In, you know, these institutions in Canada are big enough that they don't they don't necessarily think they're going to pay a toll for that. But I don't know. Generationally, the millennials don't like them, and they're not given any reason to like them. So it's uh, it's not good. So your philosophy, so I'm guessing you're encountering some frustration then in dealing with some of these vendors who basically want to have their own thing. And are you encountering a lot of, we
1: can build this ourselves? out of curiosity? Not even necessarily that. I think some of them think that there'll be certain firms that might try to achieve everything. So if a tech provider says, oh, we we don't do that, but we're going to do everything and sort of boil the ocean approach, I think they're going to run into challenges. So if we look at other industries where you see, let's say WordPress, for example, and you've got a ton of different applications that plug into WordPress, you can create a phenomenal website leveraging WordPress, but WordPress didn't build every single widget that's included in that ecosystem. And I do believe that the system will be the same in the financial services space. And in the US, you can obviously already see that, but in Canada, for whatever reason, um, there's still that IBM mindset where you need to buy, or the Microsoft oh. mindset, we are going to buy this and comes with all these different functions that plug in, but it's that's not the nature of how technology will be on a go-forward basis. No, and we're seeing that. I mean,
0: most, look how many platforms, you know, once they launch when he, software solutions, once they launch, they have their own app store because they integrate into other things, or they have a lengthy Zapier list of things they can integrate with. And yeah, the entire boil the ocean thing, I always love that. You know, people come to me about digital transformation. I want to do all this. And they talk about all these great things. I'm like, here's what you got to do. You said CRM, right? You got, you're going to stand up the CRM and get the data in there. And then you're going to put notes in there for six months. And when you've done that, you can move on to the second thing. Because otherwise, you try to boil the ocean, it's just never going to work. And as for the entire, they're going to, They're going to the Microsoft thing. I love that. Yeah, no one ever got fired for hiring Microsoft, although they sure as hell piss off people like me when I got to use Teams. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Terrible, but it integrates with uh, your 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 uh, Word and your Outlook. So uh but like yeah, who cares? Because
0: like I said before, and I said I mean, we're just going on a diatribe here on other side rant. Name one world class thing Microsoft does except for Excel. Everything else is a, is a, is an also rant. Like let's just be not PowerPoint. PowerPoint sucks. Like Team sucks. word sucks. They all suck so badly, and it's just like oh, but they all talk together. Like thanks, but no thanks. I don't care. I still right. use
1: Slack. I still use Zoom and. Yes, I use Outlook, but it's mainly just oh, because- Oh, why? It's-, it's a crime against humanity Outlook. Oh, <laughs> I, I know. I might have to switch to, to Gmail soon. My teams have been complaining about it. Yeah.
0: No, I'm, I'm on the board. I'm on an advisory board for one fintech. And they uh, when when they made the decision to go to Teams, the entire, <laughs> the entire team just fought back. It was just like, oh, come on. It's just like, I can only handle two instances. Anyway, enough of that. So um, you talk about these integrations. So from your viewpoint, I mean, in a lot of ways, you're kind of the thin edge of the wedge into the client relationship, the way you're building the Platform, right? You're the one who's looking to communicate with them in a digital secure manner and also obtain a lot of information on that. So you talked about ecosystem plays or integration plays, but like, where do you see yourself integrating, and what parts of the entire kind of value proposition do you think you can you can play in and how?
1: Yeah, really good question. I think it's important. Not only did advisors figure out where they fit, but where technology firms feel that they fit. So for us, ICS is really focused on that first mile discovery, but that's what I'm kind of classifying it, which is gathering any information that's required for the initial engagements of the advisor with the client. Any uh, data collected in our system will feed into the CRM of choice of the advisor and potentially into the onboarding technology of choice, which could lead to maybe account opening on the investment side. Now we have a good relationship with the Canadian MGAs. So we're not looking to okay. try to you know, replace the um, MGAs. We think that overall they do provide good value to advisors. Not all, not all MGAs are created equal. But really, we allow that seamless data collection from the client to the advisor, and then the advisor should be able to choose where that data gets pushed to. And if it's an advisory firm that has made some of those decisions already preemptively, that's okay. But I just think firms should recognize that not all advisors will want to use every tool that's been selected by a uh, uh, boardroom table in, in Ontario. Sometimes they might have different perspectives, and it's important to think through that.
0: Well, yeah, and that's the thing is that it's amazing, you know, back to your monolithic statement before, it's everybody seems to think that there is the one software, the rule of all. like I refer to as one ring where you think you're going to have the one thing that handles all of this, and this is why so many softwares have a shitty version of a CRM embedded in them. It's because, well, oh, you know, it'd be really great if I could put my notes in here too, right? And, and in reality, you know, that sub- same level of thinking is leading people to make one choice on one software. And as a business, you shouldn't support 16 different versions, but you should should support the advisor's ability to make their own choice. And if they want to spend the money themselves and integrate themselves to be able to use that, right? So here's our golden path of all the preferred vendors we've integrated into. But, oh, you want to use, an you know, vendor? you want to use Redtail instead of Salesforce? Fine. Here's our API. Like, you know, here's the requirements. Here's the contract you got to sign for security. And maybe there's an integration that's already been built that you can piggyback off of that someone else did but otherwise no go ahead and do it yourself give the optionality god forbid
1: <laughs> yeah this is just such a closed ecosystem industry that we're in and fortunately yeah. you've been leading the charge and in challenging incumbent organizations to relook at their way of thinking uh, yes i just keep so saying so thank stuff.
0: you i mean they're listening okay
1: oh i bet you they're listening but well they will they someone. act Depends. What's in the best shareholder interest, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some are. We'll see. It's uh, it's an interesting challenge. So, do you see yourself as potentially being kind of like the source of the data where it resides, or you're just like looking to flow it through to others because, or, or be a facilitator of that? Because, I mean, the way to look at it is, you can be a pipe where everything goes from, say, you to to the CRM, and then everybody else ties on the CRM. Or do you see yourself as as basically being the the source of that data that everybody else draws upon?
1: I think it depends on the advisor and it depends on the advisor organization. So right. some organizations have their own data lake and they thought through where they want all their data to reside. And in right. a situation like that, perhaps we are just the vessel that's helping collect the information from client and plug it into the systems that the firm wants. Now, for the independent advisor that hasn't made a lot of tech decisions, we may be their uh, source of truth where they're collecting and storing within our system. Now, on a longer term basis, we do encourage... Uh, advisors to have their own file storage system outside of us. So perhaps they have uh, a side drawer account or they have a sync account. Conflict of interest disclosure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Whichever they they choose. And I I think that the the data collection doesn't necessarily need to be the same as the uh, data repository, but every advisor and every advisory firm will make those decisions themselves over time.
0: Yeah. And that's one, you know, I think it's important you recognize I think you've recognized your value in there in terms of teaming up with firms that do document storage, right? Like it's, it's a separate, unique value proposition that frankly, the most important thing as a fintech you can know, especially early on life, is what you are and what you're not. And not only that, but what you are has is, is found some product market fit because this problem happens all the time. I talk to a bunch of ambitious fintechs and year one, they're like, we're going to be all of this. And then I'm like, okay, sure you are. Then you come back in year two and it's like, so we've decided we're going to be this. It's like, okay, great. Now you've matured. But I always wonder to myself, and I always when I when I talk to younger groups, I'm like, listen, this is gonna be a very costly experiment to figure out who you are in life. So maybe you just think this through a little bit more and figure out what the actual true value prop of this is. And nail that. And I think I think you've stayed true to that from our conversation since we started. So I'm glad you, you haven't gone down many rabbit holes. I mean, the one integration that you did go down, I wouldn't say it was a rabbit hole, but it's a different smart one, is, is you did integrate with flinks So data aggregation in the US is table stakes in Canada is still this thing that scares people, which is hilarious. But tell me about how that integration has gone and the feedback you've gotten from users thus far.
1: Yeah, as mentioned, we were we were the first to integrate with Flinx on the wealth space. And so uh we definitely got to provide some initial feedback on that uh, product. they've certainly uh, improved the quality of the product over time. And that's why I love working with other integration partners is they can be experts at aggregation and continually get better and refine the data enrichment. And we can provide input along with any other financial services firms or tech firms that are working with them. So overall, it's been a great relationship. I think they're uh, forward thinking. And I like the fact that they're Canadian. Not sure how the national bank investment will influence the way in which they build out their product. But uh, they seem to be very focused on open architecture and providing good quality data for the advisors, the consumers, and ultimately making financial transactions easier based on good quality data. So, so far it's been, it's been very positive.
0: So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody. as I'm sure you're familiar with. So this is the test. If you've ever thought about how you would answer them yourself. First question is if you had one wish for something could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be?
1: Yeah. One thing, if I could have something change in the industry, I think we just need more guys like you out there that are challenging the status quo. So um, I do my best in my own little world to try to encourage advisors to embed technology and own the experience that they offer but yeah my one wish is that we need more people like you that more out of <laughs> not sure this country can handle more of me <laughs> anyway and another
0: number of people just screamed out no at the same time as you said that okay so thanks <laughs> thank Cheryl, for the most checks in the mail all right second question what's been the biggest challenge that you've encountered in
1: getting the company to where it is today honestly patience so um i like I'm, I'm a if I see a problem, I want to fix it right away. But this industry, it requires a lot of relationship building, a lot of uh, building trust and a lot of following through on promises, which we've done. And that has helped us. But a lot of times, especially in tech business, if you're not making money early enough, you make a deal with the devil, which might impact the decisions that you'll make afterwards. And so luckily we haven't had to do that, but it's just required a lot of patience no doubt. Uh, And
0: also I'd say to like, it's, I mean, you're in technology, you understand patience when it comes to actually building stuff and doing it right takes time. And early on, I was infamous for saying "This this doesn't look like a hard problem to me. And they just like the developers would just start like ripping their hair out. Like, what do you mean? It's not a hard problem. I've got a little bit more realistic in terms of timeline expectations now. And then the last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting out of bed in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight?
1: Well, feedback from advisors is always really exciting. So anytime an advisor wants to jump on a call with me, I don't care if they're just a small advisor or a larger firm. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning because advisors who I used to provide my Excel document to that are now using AdvisorFlow and have provided input all the way along to get to where we are, that's pretty exciting to me because it's allowed the platform to continue to get better. And so I guess the short answer to your question is a call with an advisor always excites me because it means that I'm on the right track and we have continually enhanced the platform based on feedback we've received from the community.
0: Excellent. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today. I appreciate it. And I encourage anyone who can look to look at what it is you've done. And uh, yeah, we chat relatively frequently, so be sure to stay in
1: touch. Thanks for having us on, Jason. Keep up the great work. Well, that was today's episode of FinTech Impact. I
0: hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care.